stay standing a moment and we want to pray together, God, to come before you now. And Lord, we know that waves come, waves go. I love the picture in that song that also waves of your love come and they wash over us, Father, and they can give us strength and courage. And I know that people, there are people in the room who have uh, difficulties and the waves that they feel they're in are not friendly. So I just want to pray today would be a day of strengthening. Father, I pray today as we look at these words of Jesus that uh, some of us are afraid of Jesus and afraid of what he says. And uh, just pray that you would give us courage to face those fears, that they wouldn't keep us from what he has to offer and what he wants to bring to us. It's in his name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask if you have a seat if you would. That'd be great. And I'm just glad to have you with us today as we begin this new series, and we call it the outrageous stuff that Jesus said. And what we're going to do is we're going to go through the New Testament, and we're going to look at some things that Jesus said that are just pretty doggone outrageous. In fact, crazy, if you want to think about that. And what I want to begin today, just by getting you to think about that, is there is a huge difference between those in our culture uh, who do outrageous things and Jesus. See, those in our culture who do outrageous things, they're doing things so that people will notice them, so that they will follow them on Twitter, and that they will, you know, consume their products in some way. So they're doing all these outrageous things just to get notice. But Jesus had a higher purpose uh, when he said the outrageous things that we're going to look at in these series than just getting people to follow him on Twitter or getting people to notice him. He had a much greater purpose than that. He wasn't drawing, he wasn't saying these things to draw attention to himself. He was making these outrageous statements that we're going to look at to really to shake people up and to define what God wanted and to clarify who he was. So that's why he makes the outrageous statements that he did that we're going to look at. So in preparation for the series, I went to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, primary places that we have the words of Jesus Christ. You have a Bible, you know the words of Jesus because most Bibles have them in red and you can read his words. And as I did that, as I went through the words of Jesus, I was amazed. I've been doing this for a long time and I was just amazed to read how many statements he made that are really outrageous. A lot. When you read that, when you really pay attention to what it is that he's saying. In fact, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it makes it hard sometimes to follow him because some of the things he said, you're like, oh my word, I just can't believe that that's what he asks of us. I can't believe that that's what he actually said. It just seems so extreme. And if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, you know that one of the reasons that you've not yet crossed the line, that you keep saying no to Jesus, is because of some of the crazy things you've heard he said. And it's keeping you back from being able to trust him and to go with him. I mean, look at that. He said things like, love your enemies. Pray for your enemies. I mean, some of you, you have a hard time praying for your friends, right? <laughs> Let alone praying for your enemies. He said, you know, he said, if somebody wants your coat... Give them your shirt. In fact, anytime anyone asks anything of you, give it to them. When he was asked, how many times should I forgive? He says, yeah, just keep forgiving. Just keep doing it. It doesn't matter. You always forgive, no matter how many times. He told the people of his day, he says, pay your taxes. 
Oh, man. And you know what? Just know the people in this day, they hated paying taxes as much as we do, okay? They hated the Romans, and they wanted someone uh, to go into, uh, to lead them into a revolution, to get them out from under the Roman oppression so they wouldn't have to pay their taxes. And Jesus saying, pay your taxes? Jesus said, hate your mother. He said, hate your father. Hate your family. And then he just adds tax on it at the end. And by the way, hate yourself too. He says that in a statement. We're going to look at that in this series. So just know that that's coming. We're actually going to dig into that and see what he says. He says this. He says, hey, cut off your hand or poke out your eye if you can't control your urges. He says radical, outrageous things. In this series, we're going to look at these outrageous statements that seem uh, to us to seem crazy. But what we're going to discover is that Jesus is a master at causing us to be uncomfortable so that we can wrestle with reality and wrestle with truth, okay? So I'm going to invite you to go ahead and grab your Bible. If you have one, open it to John chapter 6. That's where we're going to be today. If you want to follow along on your notes, you can pull them out as well. All the Bible verses from John 6 will be on the front. We can follow along with that. Maybe you want to take some notes as we go along. just want to encourage you. If you don't own a Bible, our church wants to give you one today. So if when you leave, just stop by one of the uh, bookshelves in the lobby, grab a Bible. It's our gift to you saying, uh, just because we want you to be able to have a Bible to read on your own. When you come in, if you'd like to have a Bible while you're here, but you forgot yours or you don't want to bring yours, just grab one of these and use it while you're here, put it back on the rack, and then somebody else can do that again next week. So today's message is called Eliminate Your Options. Now, you can say it another way because we live in a world that's full of options, right? It's full of choices. It's in, it, so because we have so many things that we can choose from, it's in our best interest that we make the correct choices. It's in our best interest that we aim our lives in the right direction. Anybody remember Matt Emmons? I didn't think you would. Didn't think you would. I didn't either. I read about him this week, and I was just fascinated by his story. It's the 2004 Winter Olympics. Matt was competing in the 50-meter three-position rifle shoot, okay? Think about 50-meter three-position rifle shoot. Here's a picture of him. You can kind of see this is kind of, you know, he would put his gun there, and then he would shoot from, do the contest from there. Well, here's what happened is the competitors would line up next to each other, and they would shoot a series of shots at their target. They had 10 rounds. 10 shots overall, and after nine rounds, Emmons looked to be a shoe-in for the gold medal. On his last shot, all he has to do is hit the target, not even close to the bullseye, but hit the target, and he wins the gold medal. Okay, you got the picture here. So he gets his gun, he puts it up on the rest, he aims, breathes out, breathes in, breathes out, and squeezes the trigger. Bullseye! Bullseye. He hit the target, but there's a problem. He aimed at the wrong target. <laughs> oh my word, he aimed at the wrong target. He hit the bullseye on the target next to his. And he goes from a shoe in for the gold medal to eighth place. Eighth place. Now, here's a picture of his wife consoling him after his shot. Oh, that had to be so difficult and so hard. This is why I wanted to talk about this. Where you aim matters. Where you aim matters, okay? And in life, it's true, just like it would be in this rifle shoot, 
where you aim matters. And we all want to make sure we're aiming at the right target. And we need to learn to eliminate all the other options that are before us. Matt's mistake cost him a gold medal. And we're going to see today from our stories we're going through, John, that choosing the wrong path when it comes to spiritual things is actually much more costly. So I'm just going to kind of set the scene, walk through some verses, and then we're going to talk about some application. So these are all, we look at it's all in John chapter 6. So here's the story. So in John chapter 5 and 6 are actually fascinating chapters if you want to read them sometime on your own. But John chapter 6 starts with Jesus feeding the 5,000. Now, the the way the Bible, the way that people counted in this day is that it said it was 5,000 men. And uh, and honestly, the, the position of women and children in this day is they didn't matter. And so they would record how many men there were, 5,000. Scholars say there were probably means there were about fifteen to 20,000 people. They had been with Jesus all day. He had been teaching. He realizes they're hungry. There's nowhere for them to go for food. Imagine about 15,000 people. No one could feed them at all. And so he asks where there's some food. Somebody produces uh, five loaves and two fish. Five loaves and two fish. And then Jesus takes that and he feeds the crowd on that day. He feeds every one of them. Now you've got to understand that feeding them was a huge deal because food was the primary focus for people in that day now we we're way beyond that in our world especially in america western culture where most of us spend most of our time thinking about where we're going to get our next entertainment fix but they were thinking about where we're going to get our next meal because they didn't have the means to grow that we have today. It was an agrarian culture, and they didn't have refrigeration, so they couldn't store food. There was nowhere that you could actually keep the food. And so food was a big deal. And what it says is that after they, Jesus fed them, that they then wanted to make him king. Okay, Because if, if, if you could feed the masses then you were somewhat important and they wanted to make him king after he fed them. And so as Jesus, after they fed them, Jesus says this, we want you to be our king. And he says, why? And he said, and they simply said, because you fed us. Because that's, you know, the simple, you know, he could win the election because he fed the people. That's how it worked. Well, Jesus knew what was in their minds and he didn't have any desire to be a political king. So what he did was, the Bible says that he sent his disciples, he put them in a boat, he sent them a up over the, in the Sea of Galilee, they went up, kind of up over the, around the top to a little town called Capernaum. The Bible says that Jesus went off alone to pray. And then after he prayed at night, he crossed over the Sea of Galilee, walking on the water. David talked about this a moment ago. And this storm, they finally get through the storm. They get to the other side. Next morning, the people all wake up. Where's Jesus? Where his disciples? Someone said, well, I, I saw a boat going over here and they put two and two together. And so the crowd goes up over the top around to the little village of Capernaum. We don't know how many went, but I would say that most of them probably went because they wanted to come to Jesus. When they got to Jesus, they asked him for one thing. They said, Jesus, we want you to do another miracle. In other words, what they're saying is we want more food. We want more food. Our tummies are a rumbling and we need more food so they don't rumble anymore. And what happened is, is Jesus took this moment. He's a master at this to change their focus, to redirect their aim from their rumbling tummies, from having their physical needs met. And he says this, he says, I gave you bread to eat and you're hungry again. I would like to give you something much better than that. 
I would like to give you something much greater than physical bread. I want to give you a bread from which you will never hunger again. I want to give you a spiritual bread. And then he says this. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Well, that wasn't really what they wanted to hear. Remember, their stomachs are rumbling. What they wanted was for Jesus to take care of their needs. But also, there's, you know, there's a pretty astute crowd in some ways. They knew their Old Testament, and they knew their history. And they knew that when Jesus made this statement to be, I am the bread, when he said that, he was making a statement that took them all the way back to Moses and the children of Israel when they were in the wilderness, when God fed them manna, God fed them bread. So he's making a statement all the way back. The Bible says that one will come who is greater than Moses. And now when Jesus makes that statement, he's saying, I'm the one who's greater than Moses who has come. But he goes further even. He takes them back in their memories to the moment when Moses was before God and God had called him to set his people free. And Moses says, okay, I'll go, but how... Who will I tell them has sent me? And God said to him, well, tell them that I am sent you. I am sent you. So when Jesus uses this phrase right here, when he says, I am, he's saying, I am the same. I am the same. And so that's where we pick up our story, okay? That's where we're going to pick it up. And now we're going to learn some things that are going to help us and as we go further into John chapter 6 now about what Jesus has to say to us in his outrageous claim, which we haven't even gotten to yet as we look at it. Verse 41. So after this happens, then the people began to murmur in disagreement because of what he had said. Here's what he said. I am the bread that came down from heaven. So they're going, okay, well, we know better than that because aren't you Jesus, the son of Joseph? So they go into all the practical things, all the reasons why they shouldn't believe. You ever been like that or know people like that? As soon as you say you believe, they'll come into all the reasons why you shouldn't believe. And that's what happened right here. We know that you're from, you know, we know your father and mother. How can you say you came down from heaven? And then Jesus goes on, verse 47. Jesus says this, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes has eternal life. Yes, I am the bread of life. So he says it again. That's who I am. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. <coughs> Excuse me, taking back to that moment, but they all died. So the bread, the physical bread that they got, they ate it, but they all died. Then he says this. Anyone who eats the bread that from heaven, the bread I give, however, will never die. So he's making a distinction now between you know, getting your needs met and from this deeper spiritual need that he wants to bring, will never die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats of this bread will live forever. So Jesus is making this clear picture and distinction is that it says you're hungry for physical. You think that if you can solve the physical, if you can get your needs met, that you're going to have those needs met and you're never going to be able to have have those needs again. And Jesus said, no, those needs will come back again. But I want to give you a bread and we're going to talk about what that is. I'm going to give you a life. And once you have this life, you will have me in all my fullness and you will never hunger again. See, they need the bread of life. They need the bread that Jesus said is going to satisfy eternally. And that's the same thing that we need as well. So let's go on. Verse 53. So Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise that person at the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. 
I live because of the living Father who sent me. In the same way, anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. I am the true. Notice how many times in these verses he's used the word true, distinguishing between things that aren't true, other options. He said, I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did. So he's saying that if you want to be consumed with physical things, <coughs> they're never going to be able to sustain and that you're going to end up empty and dead. He said there, but will live forever. So in these verses, we have our outrageous statement that Jesus made. And here it is. He said, eat my flesh and drink my blood. It's there. You read it, right? It's right there. You can read it. Eat my flesh and drink my blood. Now, I was, I was thinking about that. Halloween's this week. And I'm going, you know, I've never really had a message on Halloween that came from the Bible. But if I wanted one, there it is. Right there. We have zombies and vampires. Okay, right there. Eat my flesh and drink my blood. Now, for some of you, I'm not going there. I'm not doing that. But I could have. Okay, there we go. Jesus is talking about something greater, though. He's making a huge point. He's drawing them in with this statement so that they could see that through him was the best way that they could have their greatest need met. Their greatest need met. All other paths, here's what he's saying. All other paths, all other means, all other steps, all other religious efforts, all other modes of spirituality will never fulfill your spiritual need. He says this, I am the only way. I am the only way. And now look at what happens next. Many of his disciples said, this is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? And when they said that, they're saying, who can embrace this? Now, who's going to get online with this, Jesus? Who can go with this? Who can work with this? This is so difficult, Jesus. And it says Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining. So he said to them, does this offend you? Does this offend you? And what he's saying is, are you going to let this be a roadblock? Are you going to let this keep you from receiving the life that I offer? Are you going to let this be a stumbling block? And so what he's saying is, he's saying, you have to get past this in order to be able to see me. Now notice what happens next. At this point, now I want to make a clarification here, okay? So when we are reading the word disciples in these verses... Some of you are thinking, well, you only know of disciples as 12 disciples. But that, in these verses, as we talk about the word disciples here, more than likely, it's referring to a larger group of followers of Jesus. So people who have said, yeah, I like Jesus. I like what he teaches. I like what he says. I really like that he's taking care of the rumbly in the tummy. I really like that part. So I'm going to follow him. So those disciples now start turning away and deserting him. Uh, it's just amazing. The day before, what did they want to do? They wanted to make him what? King. They wanted to make him king. Jesus, they're king. And now they're just moving on, okay? There's got to be another option. He's not going to take care of my belly, so I'm going to move on. There's got to be something better. There's got to be something else. Anytime you move from Jesus, you move to something else. Remember that later. When I move from him, I always move to something else. And so when I move to something else, I better make sure it's going to be able to take care of my greatest need. But he says, I can do that. See, Jesus was, um, 
I don't, you don't find anywhere, in fact, I think that's one of the really cool things about his outrageous statements. You don't find anywhere that Jesus tries to draw a crowd. In fact, he started making these statements and then people did leave him. And from that moment on, that people started to think that they wanted to kill him. Jesus was never interested in drawing a crowd. Jesus was inter- most interested in reaching those who were open to what it was that he had to say, open to his true identity, open to the understanding that he was their only hope, open to people who were not just wanting to join a movement, open to people who realized that he was the answer, he was the thing they were searching for most. And yet, that's not what the crowd wanted, and that's not what many people want from Jesus today either. See, most people want a Jesus who's just for me, No, he kind of exists for me. And I've got needs, and Jesus is over there, and he's all-powerful. And because he's for me, he's going to step in. He's going to meet all my needs. That's the Jesus that most people want for me. And so he does these things because I need them. But that's not Jesus. Notice what happens next. Then Jesus turned. Now he comes down to the 12. And you would know the 12, the 12 apostles, the 12 disciples, as you know them later on in the Bible. He says to them, are you, everybody's gone, remember. Are you also going to leave? And I just have a feeling that their first thought was, we're busted. (laughs) He knows. He can see. He knows what's going on. He knows what is in our minds. He goes, you don't want to leave too, do you? And they're inside, they're going, honestly, we do want to leave. Because we just realized for the first time that it's going to be difficult being with you. It's going to be difficult following you. There's going to be a cost that we have to pay because we're with you. Folks, we all know someone who used to follow Jesus. We all do who used to follow Jesus, but no longer follows Jesus any longer because they felt that somehow Jesus either didn't come through for them like they thought he should have, or because they thought the cost of following him was just too high. And we all know people like that. But the disciples, and here's what's going to happen. Peter, in a, we're going to be introduced to Peter here in a moment of absolute brilliance and what we think is spiritual insight. He says to Jesus, ask him this question. Notice what he says. Peter replied after Jesus said, do you want to leave as well? Peter says, Lord, to whom would we go? To whom would we go? And he says this. We believe, I love that we sang that song today. We believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. So Peter's going, yeah, it did occur to us to leave. It really did. This is what we do. We know that everybody else is walking away and we could have just gotten up and kind of slipped out with the crowd and that we could be gone and no one would have noticed Jesus except you. It also occurred to me to walk away from you. But anytime I, but I realize that when I walk away from you, I'm walking toward something else. And as much as it is hard for me right now to comprehend this, as much as it's so hard for me to understand at this moment, Jesus, what I've come to realize, if there is no other option, no other option that speaks to the deepest needs of my heart like you do, Jesus. No other option. Jesus, when I consider all other options, To whom would I go? To whom would I go? 
So that's our story. So turn your notes over on the back side. I don't know, some of you have been here for a long time. You've been wondering, when are we ever going to write something today? <laughs> I know how you are. And also, there's other people of you going, okay, if he's just getting to the back side, we're going to be here forever. <laughs> no, we're going to fly through this. This is the application. This is what we're going to look at of this story, what we can learn. It help us to eliminate options. And the first one is this. I must recognize who Jesus truly is. I must recognize who Jesus truly is. And I'll just say it this way. Jesus is God. He said, I am the bread of life. And when he said that, as I said earlier, it was a direct reference to the fact of Moses with God. I am God saying his name and the bread was given to sustain the people. So when Jesus said those words, he was making a reference that was clear to every one of his listeners at that time. I am am God. I am God. In fact, look what it says in John 6, 33. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So we must believe that Jesus is who he said he is. In fact, many people say, well, Jesus never said he was God. Jesus was a good teacher. Jesus was a prophet. Jesus was a healer. Jesus was a radical, you know, revolutionary, but he never said he was God. He did say he was God all the time. Here's one example, John 10, 30. The Father and I are one, are one. Jesus is God. And we have to come to that place to realize it in order to place our faith in him. How many of you heard of Bono? You know Bono, you too? Bono, and you may not know this, is a committed follower of Jesus Christ. It may surprise some of you to know that. Well, he was interviewed and talking about his faith and belief in Jesus. And so we just want to kind of listen in on the interview. So let's look at the screens. So then, what or who was Jesus as far as you're concerned? I think it's, the, it's a defining question for a Christian is who was Christ. And, and I don't think you're let off easily by saying a great thinker or a great philosopher or, a, you know, because actually he went around saying... He was the Messiah. That's why he was crucified. He was crucified because he said he was the Son of God. So he either, in my view, was the Son of God or he was not. No, no, nuts. Nuts, yes. Forget yes. rock and roll messianic complexes. This is like, I mean, Charlie Manson-type delirium. And I find it hard to accept that... All the millions and millions of lives, half the earth for 2,000 years, have been touched, have felt their lives touched and inspired by some nutter. I just, I don't believe it. I, so I therefore it follows that you believe he was divine. Yes. And therefore it follows that you believe that he rose physically from the dead. Yes. Yeah. I mean, uh, I no problem with miracles. Living around them. I am one. So, so when you pray then, you pray to Jesus. Yes. The risen Jesus. Yes. And you believe that he made promises which will come true. Yes. Wow. Woo! So, uh, along the same lines, C.S. Lewis, famous you know, philosopher, scholar... He wrote one time and he said that Jesus is either a liar or a lunatic or he's a son of God. Bono's words, he's either a liar or a nutter. 
or the Son of God, okay? And he chose him to be the Son of God. He believed that. I must recognize that Jesus is God. And when I get to that place, everything else falls into line. Second idea is this. I must receive what Jesus truly offers. If he's God, I must receive what he's offering. We're going to look at that. These next verses talk about, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. So he's offering us eternal life. Now, we're all living forever, forever. All of us are living forever. It's just where we are going to end up living after this physical life that makes the difference. And so Jesus says, I've made it possible to have an eternal life. And he says this, anyone who eats of the bread will live forever. And it means in with him and in a place called heaven. We know about that. And then John 10, 10, another place, Jesus is talking about this. He makes clear. He says, my purpose is to give them a rich and a satisfying life. Now, when we have these words life here in our American, you know, uh, uh, English, we have life. We have used life for many different things. Life is quantity and life is also quality. But in the Greek language in which the Bible was written, there was two words for life. Bios, which was quantity, and zoe, which is quality of life. And Jesus in these verses are using both to say, I came to give you quantity of life, and I came to give you a quality of life. I came to give you both, eternity in heaven with me, so that when you die, you'll know where it is that you're actually going. But I gave you something much greater than that. I gave you something so that as you live, you'll know what you have. You have a quality of life, that abundance of life that you can know in me. And that's what he offers, life in its fullest. And one example where he's inviting people into that life is in Matthew chapter 11. He says this, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. That's the life that Jesus is offering, that he's calling us to. So I recognize who Jesus truly is. I receive what Jesus truly offers. And the third one is this. I respond to what Jesus truly says. I respond to what he truly says. And Peter said it this way. He says, Jesus, where else would we go? You have the words of life. You have the words of life, and we are going to listen to your words. Jesus says in another place, John 8, 51, he says, I tell you the truth, anyone who obeys my teaching will never die. So he says, anyone who responds to me and does, as I said, will know The life that I came to bring, responding to that, responding to the life that Jesus offers is Jesus says, I am going to give you all of me. You can walk with me through this life. It's basically saying, you know, Jesus, I'm going to embrace what you offer and I'm going to follow and do what you say. I'm going to embrace what you offer and I'm going to follow and do what you say, even if my friends my coworkers, my neighbors, my family think I'm crazy. I am going I think I'm a nutter. 
I am going to do what you said. Even if it means loving my enemies, even if it means forgiving others, even if it means paying my taxes, even if it means giving my shirt, even if it means turning the other cheek when I've been hit, even if it means selling all I have and giving to the poor, Jesus, I'm going to do what you say, even if it sounds crazy. Because you said it. And I'm going to do what you said. So I'm going to give you the key that will really help you to comprehend what we're talking about. That's actually going to give you, I think, some momentum as you leave here today. Here's the key. I become what I eat on. I become what I feed on. See, when Jesus said, eat my flesh, he's saying, devour, consume, eat from me continually. When he says, drink from my blood, he's saying, drink from me continually. And I just want to draw us to this thought. If you're feeding on relationships, then when your relationships crumble, you're going to realize that you've been aiming at a target that's not going to be able to sustain you or hold you or fill you. And you're going to move on to another relationship, to another relationship, hoping that you will find eventually the relationship that you can feed on that's going to keep you satisfied. If you feed on success, then you're you hit a roadblock, you hit a stumble, you hit a pothole, and all of a sudden you're not successful. All of a sudden your life is going to be in chaos. The waves are going to be coming over because you have placed your hope in success. And now you'll have to find another way that you can be successful so that you can fill yourself because you've been feeding on success. If you're feeding on pride, then you're going to need your appearance to always be perfect. And your actions to be perfect because when you're feeding on pride and you realize that your body ages and you realize that you're not perfect apart from Photoshop, you look at that and you get to that place and you say, I can't do this. And you're going to have to find other things to feed on to fill you. Always searching for the next thing to feed on, hoping that will fill you. And the truth is, as you feed on it, that's what you become. But when you feed on Jesus, he's who you become. And he will never leave you empty. He will never disappoint. And our task is to eat his flesh and to drink his blood. Let's pray together. And I just say, if not Jesus, who? Not Jesus, who? God, we come before you right now, and I just thank you so much for Jesus and this teaching and what it's meant in my heart and my life. It's, I want more than anything to be in alignment with you and to walk with you. And, and I just know that in my life that I've, I've aimed at lots of targets. And uh, Lord, it's just realizing that uh, it's like, Every time I hit the bullseye and the wrong target, I've missed. And Lord, I just pray that you would help each one of us today to aim at the right target. And that we would realize that the bullseye is consuming Jesus. Devouring him. Lord, I pray that you would help us now to be people who say, I recognize that Jesus is God. Maybe that's where you are today. And you're saying, ah, wow, that's a stretch for me. Maybe this is the first time you've been to church in years, if ever. Recognize that he's God. If you ask him, he will show you. 
Second one would be receive what he offers. And he offers freedom. He offers eternal life. The way you would receive that is you would say, Jesus, as much as I'm understanding today, I want to receive what you offer. So let me tell you what that is. That means that he died on the cross for you and that you have sin in your life. And when he died there, it paid for the penalty for that sin. And when you say yes to him, you're receiving freedom. You're, free to, you're receiving the payment he paid in your account. So I, Jesus, I want to receive that. I want to receive the offer to know you, to embrace you. And then lastly, Jesus, we'll do what you say. Even if it's hard. Even if no one else follows. Because we know that in you, and only in you, is life. Eternally, forever, time, quality. Life in all its fullness. And Jesus, it's my prayer, just this, this time out between me and you. Help me to be cognizant of consuming you. Feeding on you. And on nothing else for my fulfillment. And it's in your name I pray. Amen.